Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 24. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and, you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? <clears throat> Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Listen to these words again that Rebecca just read for us. If you ask, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. He's speaking to his disciples here. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There are two great tragedies that are highlighted by this text. One is always true, and the Second, should never be. The first tragedy is that when you see there, it says the world neither sees nor knows the Holy Spirit. The world neither sees nor knows the great helper and advocate. That's what that word means, a helper. It means it's really hard to translate into English. It means, it doesn't mean like just somebody who like helps you finish a task. It means an advocate, a comforter. It means a a legal friend who helps you, someone who strengthens you, someone who has the ability to strengthen you when you need strengthening and help. And that's a great tragedy that says the world, Jesus says, that the world neither sees nor knows the Holy Spirit. That explains the darkness that's around us, doesn't it? It explains why, if you look around us, why there, if there is little Christianity or uh, uh, in, a, in a nation or a culture, why that nation or a culture seems to move further and further away from the ways of God. It also explains why if Christianity is seeming to fade or to fall back in a nation or a culture like it has in Europe and like we, it seems to be happening here in the United States, why it seems everything around us seems to rush in the opposite way from God. It explains why the movement away from him and his ways and his values would be so swift and so emphatic. 
Because it's the spirit of truth, Jesus says here. It's the spirit of truth that brings truth home to the soul of a man or a woman. And the world, he says here, cannot receive or believe that truth because it can't see or receive or believe the Holy Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. Jesus is saying that that men and women in their natural fallen state, just the way that we're born, are so, we're, we're bound up in what we can see. We're bound up in what we can feel. We, we are bound up with what Jesus calls the, the things of this world or the cares of this world, the desire for wealth. We can see wealth, right? You can tell how wealthy you are or how wealthy you are not by your bank account and or standard of living. You can see people around you, how wealthy they are or are not by what you imagine their bank account to be and their lavish or not so lavish standard of living. We can see wealth. We can see security. We, we can see uh, status and power. These are things that we can see and feel and experience. Those are the things of the here and now. And what Jesus is saying is that the people, the natural state of all of us in this world are to be so wrapped up with status and power and wealth and security, the things that we can see, that we can sense, that those things consume all of our senses so that we miss and do not see the Holy Spirit. Because we can't see him, we don't believe in him. The cares of this world press in upon all of us. And so, Though it should sadness, it should sadness when we see our family members and our friends running down the path to destruction. It shouldn't surprise us, right? That's their natural state. Also, what that should tell us is that it should be a great motivation for evangelism and world mission. Because what Jesus is telling us is that the people around us, though... In Romans 1, it says they can see by the the, the world the way it was made and the way it runs. They can see that there is a God, yet they can't see the work of the Holy Spirit. Their eyes are blinded to the work of the Holy Spirit. Their eyes are blinded to the truth of Jesus Christ that apart from the Holy Spirit speaking truth to them and waking them up to see his work or to experience his work, to understand that the truth of Jesus is true, then they are going to continue to run headlong in the opposite direction. They have to have the power of the Holy Spirit brought to them to open up the truth of the gospel to see the beauty of it. And that weight and that importance is the weight and importance behind the push to mission, world mission, evangelism. You see, there's no natural flow from the world to Jesus. There's no natural flow from death to life. It does not flow that way. It can only happen when the Spirit of God arrests someone from going in that way, causes them to see what they have not been able to see before, and draws them to Christ. It can only be happened as the truth of the gospel is shared under the power of the Holy Spirit that someone, suddenly someone can be saved. The second tragedy that should never be true, the first tragedy should, is always true that those 
who are in the world cannot see and receive and believe the Holy Spirit. The second tragedy should never be true, and that's that much of the church doesn't recognize the great helper and the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper or advocate or strengthener to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for this is talking to his disciples again here, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The second tragedy is even greater than the first one because the world's only chance to receive the Spirit of truth is if the Spirit of truth is brought to them through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that happens through his people. But how can that happen if we aren't even sure about him? If we aren't even aware of his presence in our life and his power in and among us? Jesus says that this Holy Spirit was already dwelling with these apostles, but that they had seen that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit had come upon him at his baptism, and that he moved under the power of the Holy Spirit. He did, we're told in Scripture, all that he did because he was filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the powerful strengthener. It was upon him, and that's who he did all his great work for through. And he says to his apostles, you've seen him. He's among you. But he's saying, in the near future, that same spirit, the spirit of truth, the helper, will be in you. That happened at Pentecost. And that defines what true Christianity is. But the truth is that most American Christians and most of the American church is woefully ignorant of the Holy Spirit in our midst and his work and power. We'll talk about him. We reference him. But it's a little more than lip service. Most of us are anemic when it comes to the actual operation and work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And here's what I want to say this morning. This is what Jesus is saying in this passage. Christianity is nothing if it's not supernatural. Christianity is nothing if it is not supernatural. This is true Christianity. The spirit of the living God dwelling not just among, but within God's people. You see, our spiritual death is, runs too deep. Our problems are just too great for the answer to be anything else than the Holy Spirit among and within his people. You see, what he's saying is we need supernatural help. That that wording that he has there, advocate or comforter or helper, he says that we need a helper because we need help. Look at the verses that precede that verse 16. Verses 12 through 15. John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, this is the passage we were in last week, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then in verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
I want you to see, we don't have time to dwell here at all, but you see, first of all, I want you to see the connection between believing in Jesus and loving him. Whoever believes in me, he says, will do these things. And then he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You cannot believe in Jesus without loving him, and you cannot love him without believing in him. One does not go without the other. But also, I want you to see, I want you to see the connection between believing and loving him and our actions. Did you hear how action-oriented those those verses were, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and even greater works, he says. Then he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, why would we be asking, what does it mean that we would ask something in his name? Why would we be asking things in his name except to fulfill his will and commands? That's what it means to ask things in his name. It means to, God, I'm asking you this in order to fulfill your will and command for my life. And then he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says, you'll do my works and you'll do greater works. He says, you'll ask me and I will do it. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Do you see the kind of people that God is, through Jesus, is describing us as being? Do you see what kind of dynamic community Jesus is picturing us as being? People who are doing the works that Jesus did and even greater works. People who are boldly asking him to do things and he absolutely fulfills the requests made to him. And a people who love him so much, they keep his commandments. And you know what his commandments are? First of all, there's a number of them, but first of all, to believe in him. And secondly, we covered a couple of weeks ago, to love each other just as he loved us. Does that describe us? Do we measure up to that? Does this describe your life? A life of a person who is doing the works of Jesus and even greater works, who is asking him boldly things in his will and are seeing him answer those requests and who are lovingly keeping his commands. Does this describe our community groups? Does this describe our church? Do we see the kind of effects that these kind of lives and this kind of church would have among us in around us if not where does that where does that put us well it either puts us that we have to say either this christianity thing is not true and if it's not true then let's just give you guys whatever tithe money you gave in the past few months back to you and let's put these chairs up and wrap these banners up and go home and not worry about this anymore or we say, okay, well, Christianity is true, but it's kind of like, through the years, it's kind of faded in power. We're not the same kind of powerful, dynamic person that Jesus was or the early church was. We're just kind of like waiting and holding on until he'll come back. And I'll be honest with you, if that's true, I want to be faithful to him, but honestly, Let's just pack this stuff up and go to another church somewhere and make it easier. Or the third option is maybe the American church, maybe our church, maybe we, maybe you, have forgotten the instructions, the dynamic community that Jesus was describing here. And if that's true, though, then it can be restored if we'll return to Jesus. 
If we're going to ask for great things so that the Father may be glorified, and if we're going to do great works and even greater works than Jesus, if we're going to keep his commands, then it should be obvious to us that we need help to do so. In fact, it should be obvious that we don't just need help, we need the helper. That's what, that's what Jesus, he's describing his work, the work of the one true son of God, of the God incarnate, of God himself. He's describing his own work as continuing and even growing in size and effectiveness after he leaves because he leaves us his helper. That kind of work could only be done by God himself is what he's saying. Jesus is setting up a new paradigm here that we have to understand. He's establishing a new kind of system. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that he is going to work in us, within us, and through us the same way that the Father works in and through him by the indwelling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Another helper, another advocate. Just how essential is this help? Jesus said this way back when we were in John chapter 3, when he was with Nicodemus. He said, you guys, a lot of you guys know these verses. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And he said this later on, he said, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. This is, he's describing what happens to us when we're born again. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So what he's saying is, you have to believe in Jesus to be saved, but how does that happen? How did you come to believe? How did you move from death to life? How does anyone move from death to life? How did you come to see the truth of Jesus? How did you come to see the love of the Father in Christ for you? How has anyone else ever seen it? How is anyone to see it? How is your parents or your child or your friend or your neighbor who doesn't know Christ, how are they to see the truth of the gospel, the beauty of God found in Jesus Christ? And maybe they haven't so much, shown much sign, uh, interest in religion or in, especially in Christianity. They don't seem all that concerned about their soul, about judgment, about eternity. How are we ever to get their attention lifted above the cares of this world in the pursuit of riches to see their need for God and Christ. How are we going to get them to see that? And you here today, you who are not a believer, 
What will finally cause you to move from being a bystander to faith? What, what, will, what will it finally cause it to click in you? When will you decide to make the move of faith? What will be the reason that clinches the deal for you? Could it be that we need a helper to even illuminate the truth for us? Could it be that we need a helper to bring the weight of conviction of your sin and my sin upon our minds? Could it be that you need a helper, a friendly strengthener to birth life and faith in your heart? Friends, none of us have any hope of beginning this life of faith, of continuing this life of faith, and ending or enduring in this life of faith well without our great comforter and helper and advocate, the Holy Spirit of God. And that is exactly who Jesus sent to us on the day of Pentecost. He is the one who brings any power and effectiveness to the church. Jesus didn't send a force or a general power. Jesus sent the third person of the Godhead. One who has been with him and the Father throughout all of eternity. One who is one in essence with the Father and the Son. One who is equal in power to the Father and the Son. A person. Just as the Father and the Son are persons, Jesus sent the, the personal God to us. And he says us, to us this. This is what it means to be a believer. That he, this personal God, isn't just among us, but he is now within us. He's saying the entire Trinity is involved in the saving of every single human being who's saved. I want you to hear that this morning. If you are a believer in Christ, you may wonder about your value, you may wonder about your standing, you may wonder about whether you actually count, if anyone cares, you may wonder about a lot of things, but I want you to hear this. The entire Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all involved in your salvation. They're all involved in your salvation, they're involved in keeping you, they're involved in helping you endure to the end, and you will forever enjoy intimate fellowship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because of their great love and care for you. Hear the wording in what he said, I, the Son, will ask the Father, and he, the Father, will give you another helper, that's the Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will not leave you as orphans. Why? Because I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I will be in you. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or make myself real to him. More on that later. And my Father will love him, and I will come to him and make our home with him. It's the Holy Spirit who brings conviction it's the Holy Spirit who brings faith. It's the Holy Spirit who births spiritual life in us and causes us to be born again. It's the Holy Spirit that causes us and seals us that, so that we shall endure to the end. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 
We always think, give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification. That word sanctification there means setting apart, through sanctification by the Spirit. That, what he's saying there is the Spirit has come to you and set you apart for God himself. You are sanctified, set apart to God by the Holy Spirit, and if you're going to make it to the end, it will be because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God holding you and sustaining you. Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit, another helper to us, but the question is, are we aware of it? Do we look like that's true? Do we look like a supernatural people? Do we look like a supernatural people who are doing the works of Christ in greater works? Who are asking great things of the Father so that he might be glorified and seeing those things answered? And who are keeping Jesus' commands, especially to love each other just as he loved us. The truth is that we should be. We should be experiencing that kind of supernatural, otherworldly, another kind of kingdom life. And it doesn't, does not happen because you happen to be a better person than anybody else. It happens solely by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit empowering us and working within us. Do you know why? The Father gets all the glory whenever we request great things of him and he answers them. Do you know why the Father alone gets glory whenever we love Jesus and keep his commands? Do you know why? Because it's only by his power and strength alone that we're able to do so. We're only saved by his power and strength. We're only kept by his power and strength. And we only finish by his power and strength. And only because of his personal, personal presence and empowerment within us and among us. Jesus describes this effect that the Holy Spirit would have upon us by his personal presence and work within us. And, and he says this. He says it's, it's a hidden kind of work. Right? He says the, the world doesn't see and doesn't believe. Why not? Because they're blinded to it. We see and experience or should the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within us and among us, but the world can't see or experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit like the way, the way we do. It's hidden. But yet he also describes it as personal. The third person of the Godhead, if you're a believer, is dwelling within you. A personal God is dwelling within you. That means that you and I can and should have a personal relationship with the God of all eternity. How do you explain that to someone who has never experienced that? You can't. It's like you trying to describe how a computer works to me. I, you can describe it. It's, I still don't understand it. It's hidden, it's personal, but he also says it's powerful. 
he describes the work of the Holy Spirit here and elsewhere as being a, having a powerful effect upon our lives. Listen to the wording that he says here. The personal wording. The powerful wording here. He says, you know him. He says to the, his disciples, he says, you know him. For he dwells with you and he will be in you. Then he says, you will know that you aren't orphans. How are we to know that we aren't orphans? I can tell you that Christ died for you. I can tell you that he's coming again for you. I can tell you the Father, he tells us in his word that if you're a believer, he's adopted you into his family. But how can you know that you aren't an orphan? Paul says that God sent his spirit within the believer, crying out, Abba, Father, within us. We know that we are not orphans because his spirit has been placed within us, crying out, telling us, you are not an orphan. He is your father and you are loved by him. He says, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. How can we know that except by the hidden, personal, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? He says, the Father and I will will make our home with him. Holy Spirit makes his dwelling within us. In a couple of verses back, Jesus says, he says, I'm going to go and prepare a home for you. If it were not so, if my, father didn't, my father's house didn't have many rooms, if it were not so, wouldn't I tell you? But I go to prepare a place for you. But here he says, we will come even now. Before I bring you to my home, we will come even now and make our home, our abode within you. The Holy Spirit in and among us should be known by us. It may be difficult to define and explain to a non-believer, but it should and must be known by those who are believers. This is the first thing that he's describing to us about this, or one of the things, is that believers can and should have experienced oneness of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is that you should, be, should experience and know oneness with God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your bodies. Ephesians 2, 22, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The wording that Jesus is giving here in this passage points to the fact that by God's Spirit we are brought into experienced oneness with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's what that means. It means Jesus at the cross paid a debt to cover your sin and you could be brought and adopted into the family of God, brought into oneness with God. 
that we actually, as believers, have experienced oneness with him by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit within us and among us. And that's why when we gather, we should expect God's presence to be powerfully among us. Because we, being individual temples and carriers of the Holy Spirit of God, brought into oneness with God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are coming together and experience ourselves being built into a spiritual house or a spiritual temple or a spiritual dwelling place of God's presence through His Holy Spirit in and among us. Jesus is also saying that believers can and should have experienced empowerment by the indwelling spirit. Jesus said this in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The believer should experience the presence and oneness of the Holy Spirit within us. We should also experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life and to fulfill especially God's mission to reach those lost around us who are so far away from Him. We are not a weak church, but we often act like it. We are not a poor church, but we often act like it. There is a banquet table spread before us of experienced oneness and intimacy with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit. And there's a banqueting table, more than that, a a whole armament around us for us to take and fulfill his call upon us to be the missional church that he's called us to be, the missional people that he's called us to be, for you to fulfill your individual call upon your life. He has a whole armament available for you, but we sit hungry at the table and weak in the middle of the battle. Do you experience the oneness and the empowerment of the indwelling Spirit of God? If you have not and never experienced that oneness, then I want to say to you this, and I say it with all all gravity. You might be a lot of things. You might be a lifelong churchgoer. You might be a, you might know the Bible. You might be a Bible scholar. You might be a good person. But you are not a Christian. I believe there are many, many, many people in our country. Many people in our city, in our county, who think that they're Christians because they hold to a certain moral code or they go to a place of worship or they believe generally truth about the Bible but they have never experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives and that means they are not a Christian If you've never known that kind of oneness, if you've never felt God's spirit within your spirit crying, Abba, Father, if you've never experienced that intimacy 
in the slightest bit. We all experience it differently. But if you've never known in your spirit what Jesus is saying here, you will know that you aren't orphans. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I will manifest myself to you, and my Father, and I will make our home with him. If you have not known that, then you can't claim to be a believer in Jesus. But this is a promise to all who will believe. Believe in him today. Call upon him today. Ask him for this today. If you are a believer, are you ignorant and maybe even dismissive of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit within you? As we've already covered, he says he's a person. Not a force, not a power, a a person. And as such, as a person, he can be grieved. Paul said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. After that, he said, how do you grieve the Holy Spirit? He said, turn away from all bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and slander and malice. Maybe you don't experience the empowerment and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life because you're quenching him. You're grieving him by your manner of life. I believe if that's true, then right now he'll reveal to you whatever those areas are. He'll bring conviction to your heart and mind right now. We're also told not to quench the Spirit. Quenching the Spirit means to be dismissive about His work in our midst. Dismissive that He's a real, that He is a real person, that He works in and among His people. Have you been grieving Him or quenching His work? If so, let's take that seriously. Let's repent and turn away and turn to Christ. Let's repent and turn to Christ so that we might be freshly filled and baptized by his Holy Spirit, the helper, and find the help and strength that we need. I'm going to tell you, the people that, God just, that Jesus described in this passage, that, that, that dynamic community, that is who he has called us to be. If we turn to him and call out to him, he will pour out his spirit upon us. And he'll make us to that pe- to become that people by his power, and by his strength, and for his glory. I'm going to pray and we're going to open up the front for communion. There'll be a station on each side if you are a believer in Christ today. If you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you, we invite you to come forward to partake. There'll be uh, station on each side. You'll come forward on the outside, receive the bread and the juice, return to your seat, and then Justin will come up and lead us together in communion. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us alone. You did not leave us as orphans, but you sent your Holy Spirit, the helper, our advocate, our strengthener to us. Father, forgive us for grieving him 
quenching his work among our midst. God, forgive us as believers for not truly being hungry for his work in our midst, being satisfied with the lesser things of this world. God, for any of those in this room that right now that have never experienced the intimacy and power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that God, I pray that you would open their hearts to see the truth of the gospel in Christ. They would confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They would find forgiveness and grace, the powerful indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to be true in their life. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.